Thank you for downloading season six, episode 10 of Baseball Pitching the Fix, featuring pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. Your host today is David Joe Hansen, also known as Buster Poindexter and formerly known <laughs> as Joe Janish. <laughs> and we are recording in the middle of August 2019. And I do apologize for my croaky voice, but that's what happens when you have toddlers who keep you up all night. <laughs> But uh, in all seriousness, listener, thank you for downloading this week. We have a really great episode coming up in the MLB section. We're going to have a few updates with some pictures we've talked about in the past. In our teaching moment, Angel's going to be talking about stride foot contact and understanding the stride foot phase. And in the pearls section, we're going to talk a little bit about showcases since we have the fall season coming up and showcase season coming up. So uh, we're going to touch on those things. So uh, without further ado, let's welcome Angel to the show. Hi, Joe. <laughs> hey, Angel. I, when I first heard your voice, I was going, now, who who uh, kidnapped Joe and put this other host in? <laughs> <laughs> I got the David Johansson thing going on, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I could I could sing uh, sing some songs later at the end of the show. <laughs> so we have just a couple of updates in MLB. We talked about Jake Arrieta uh, very recently and it, his issues, and it turns out that he is on the disabled list again or the injured reserve, whatever they're calling it these days. And it, it's pretty it's pretty imminent that he will have surgery. So uh, that's just a little update there. Really not a surprise to either of us, right, Angel? No, it's not a surprise. And I think the take-home message is when you have something that is going on and there's a surgery for it, meaning that other people have had it and they were operated it's very important to not waste time. And the, the message to coaches is when you have a pitcher that has an injury, and let's say it's at coming at the worst time, and, oh, you don't want him to be down and you don't want him out of your rotation, always know that you're pretty much putting off the inevitable. Because whenever you have something that is diagnosed, it's been given a name, especially if it's something that is usually operated like, oh, a partial tear in the supraspinatus or a bone spur, which doesn't even sound good. Always know, and you know, right now when I read all the stuff on Jake, there's like, oh, this the timing and now this and now that. Well, this was going to happen anyway. So coaches know that that when you're consulting with your pitchers on what to do and pitchers when you're trying to decide what to do, when it's something that usually requires surgery, you're not going to get away with it for long. But the problem is, in the meantime, while you think you still can pitch, your performance starts to really suffer. Because, for example, they were saying he cannot his off speed not working at all. Well, of course, because the off speed and pitches, pitches that require finesse and rotation of the forearm, et cetera, et cetera, are going to be affected when you're having trouble in the elbow joint where the bones in the lower part of the arm and the upper part fit together. So the take home message from this is take care of your arm the second something goes wrong, because what happens is things get worse. And now I'm going to be interested to see what they actually find when they go in to see if there's been because remember we have a little extra thing in the elbow things are rubbing over it 
So who knows what we're going to see? I don't believe it'll be on a ligamentous nature uh, level, but, you know, hopefully there isn't some tendon that's been shredded to pieces. But anyway, the take home message from this is the body always wins. Remember, I, I say that all the time and it's true. Yeah. You know, I hadn't even thought of any other issues besides the bone spur, because I would imagine the spur could be like covering things in the MRI or things like that, right? Well, it's just, it's a ragged piece of something in there and pieces could have broken off and, you know, you've got a ragged edge. I mean, have you ever had a ragged, an edge to your fingernail and you, everything you touch, it gets caught on your clothes. You go to put your hand in your hair and your hair gets caught in it. I mean, this is for anybody with a short nail, long nail. I mean, when you have ragged edges and especially in the body, things happen. Yeah. Things happen. And so you have to protect your arm. But remember, you're protecting your performance as well. Right. So good luck to Jake. When they said they're putting him on the 10-day IL, I'm like, wait a minute. He should be, you know, why isn't he scheduling surgery right now? Which means he could, you know, he could be back and get himself in shape. But uh, so I don't know what's going on. I'm hoping they're not still deliberating about it. And speaking of pitchers who have one injury that could lead to another and another, I just saw yesterday something pop up on my stream. It was the pitcher who has been near and dear to our hearts for a long time, Matt Harvey, who we've been following since his days at the Mets. He had such spectacular seasons with the Mets. They were calling him Batman. And then he had Tommy John surgery, came back from that. He got thoracic outlet surgery. Then he had a stress fracture in his scapula. He's been bouncing from team to team. We've been following him and his issues for a long time now here on the show. He's probably been a subject here at least five or six times through the years, maybe more. He reminds me of a lot of other pitchers that have gone through down this path. Mark Pryor's one that definitely comes to mind. These pitchers who have one injury that leads to another and has another and has another, but because they were so good at one time, teams continue to take chances on them and they you know, they think that they can capture lightning in a bottle and, and maybe that somehow the pitcher can just find that prior success, but it never really happens. It's, it seems like it's more the exception than the rule when, when these teams roll the dice on pitchers like Matt Harvey. And, and the thing that struck me was that, oh, now he's just got released by the Angels and now he's being picked up by the Oakland A's, which is right up in your neck of the woods, Angel. So I, I thought, you know, we've talked about him so many times and so many of these pitchers go down this path, the Mark Priors and others that just never come back. And I'm wondering, like, does it really make sense for a team to take a flyer on a pitcher who's been so injured and never been able to make it back? And what in your mind could be the process for a team to take a flyer on a pitcher like Matt, who was great one time, has had multiple injuries, just can't put it back together? Like, what would be the process in your mind to kind of get that pitcher back on track? Well, first of all, my hat's off to the A's for seeing Matt's talent. And, you know, we should call this segment Saving Matt Harvey because we've been, I think, well, we've been we've been doing this for six, six seasons now. Yeah. So we've been tracking him since his good year. Right, right. And when he first had the surgery, we were upset. And I remember looking at his mechanics and doing a little bit of predictive stuff. And then he had all this other uh, surgery that went on. So, you know, I am so happy for him. And I think what the A's are really, what really shows is the A's are confident in their ability to investigate this. And, you know, this is like a crime in a neighborhood. If the police department's good, 
they're going to solve that crime and they're going to solve it fast. If the police department doesn't know how to investigate or doesn't care to investigate or let's say is using old methods and isn't up to date, then they might be having a problem solving the crime. Same thing with investigation. And, you know, the A's have been up on their, their some of the, you know, they've, they've added all this data tracking and all kinds of things. They've been on the cutting edge of doing some of the more forward things. And I think that what they're saying is, first of all, they're saying we see his talent, which I love. So they're seeing, they're seeing around some of the details. They're seeing in through the middle. And secondly, they're saying we trust our process. So the process always has to be, in fact, it's the first thing I did. I listed, you know, 2013, great, 2014, Tommy John, 2016, TOS, 2017, Scapula. There is a pattern here. There is a pattern, especially when you end up with a stress fracture in the scapula, which does not happen frequently, but you see that fracture. And the scapula is a part of the shoulder girdle. And the thoracic outlet syndrome affects the shoulder girdle. So you're seeing some connection in two surgeries. And I happened to just pull up an article on him, and there happened to be a picture of him from the rear side. And his back posture was so bad in the middle of this stride. In fact, I don't know if I've ever seen uh, this film of him. I don't know when this was happening. If he was in pain, it would explain it. But I said, wow, because if he's in that position in his spine, his scapula is going to be affected. So I don't know if this was prior to his fracture or after. But by looking at the history of injuries and by putting that together in terms of how, what does that say about what the body's trying to say? The body's creating a story here. So if you follow the body, then you follow the mechanics and of course get tons of information from Matt as to what he's feeling. You can so easily solve this and put him back on the right path again. And no team has ever done this with him. Nobody way back when, and I don't know if this is the team or if it's Matt, and we're hoping that Matt being now back in the minor league system, if it was him being stubborn about things, I'm hoping this is a wake-up call for him. If it was the team, well, he's in great hands right now, but somewhere you have to say, let's do it differently. He cannot go back to anything. And the Tommy John elbow injuries are usually telling you something's going on with the shoulder. And the next thing he had was shoulder issues, but in a strange way. Then he had a strange fracture in the scapula, which is shoulder scapula, uh, shoulder girdle. So there has been a history that's actually been reflected after his first great year. And when you get an injury resolved like he did in 2014, if you don't go back to the cause, you're going to be good for about a year, but then something's going to rear its ugly head. And that's exactly what happened. One year good, next year injured, one year good, one year injured. And so there's a pattern here that's going on. And it's so easy to see that. So you connect the story to the body, to the mechanics, to the information you're getting from the pitcher. 
Hopefully he's highly motivated now. He's with a team that tends to do things right. So here we go. We're off to a great start. I couldn't be happier for Matt. And congratulations to the A's for, I think, seeing uh, seeing some talent when it's not when a lot of people would not recognize it. So I think it's great. And so hopefully we'll have more chapters on Matt. Yeah. You know, I just did a really quick look and um, we've, we've talked about him since 2014. So he's been part of our history here. So hopefully he will continue to be part of our history in a good way going forward. We'll see. Yeah, I'm excited for him. I was very upset when I thought his career was coming to an end. Yeah, well, he's young enough that he still has time to turn it around. So hopefully, hopefully he will. So let's move on to our teaching moment today. And and we are going to be talking about stride foot contact, which is probably one of the one of the really important pieces to understand. And you're going to help us understand it a little better. I am. And actually, I'm going to teach how to recognize it when you're filming the pitcher's mechanics. So in the last two podcasts, we've talked about the stride. So it generated a lot of interest from coaches. I was getting tons of emails, tons of inquiries about things. It's a very fascinating part of the motion. And it is the part of the motion where you set up the rest of the pitching motion, which is the important part, which is delivering the actual ball. So everybody these days is taking video and analyzing it. And unfortunately, unless you've gone to graduate school and really learned how to look at mechanics and understand mechanics from a kinesiological and a biomechanical aspect, you're not going to know how to look at film the way us professionals who do it for a living, who, you know, as I always say, I'm sitting in a classroom, you're on the baseball field, our expertise is different. So what I want to do is because there are a lot of errors with this, because of course, the phase of the motion that has the stride ends with stride foot contacting the ground. So people who don't know think, okay, so when the foot is flat, that means that's the end of the stride phase. So now in this day and age of people trying to analyze mechanics, and by the way, I don't, I'm not a fan of people analyzing mechanics when they don't have the background to, because when you give a pitcher information from an analysis, if it is incorrect or not thorough, it could ruin the pitcher's head. It could have you off on the wrong start. So to me, you have to be skilled to do it. But there are many people doing it regardless of what I just said. And there's many apps that they give to normal people to analyze. And so I think everyone should, with respect, be careful about what they say or what information they generate. But what I'd like to do is if you're going to do it, I'd like you to at least understand where it is that you actually stop the video so you actually can look at this stride phase. And the stride phase is a place where when we as professionals are filming, we're going to stop the film when the front foot makes contact with the ground. And it is in that moment of the video analysis that we are looking at certain things. Biomechanists are measuring certain angles. And I, as a qualitative analyst, am looking at where are the body parts and are they in line with what the guidelines are that biomechanists put out. So it's kind of complicated. So in when you're in graduate school, you have to take almost every sport, and I'll stick with pitching, you have to take like the pitching motion 
you have to you know, picture taking a, a, doing a spreadsheet and on the left is every single movement and every single phase and the purpose of it and what the biomechanical considerations are and what and how you define it so defining a phase is the most important part and the reason when I see errors made where a coach will send me video and say look where his arm is at stride foot contact because that's one of the main things I talk about all the time where is the arm at stride foot contact because it denotes whether the arm is in the right place if it's late if it's already going into the next phase so people have become familiar with that terminology but if you don't define it correctly then you're looking at the arm saying oh look at his arms late but maybe he hasn't touched down yet or oh look at his arm is in the right place but you missed when he touched the ground so the importance of knowing how to define this so stride foot contact does not mean necessarily when the entire foot is down on the ground stride foot contact means when does any part of the foot make contact with the ground and when any part of the foot makes contact with the ground in terms of the way we do motion analysis and delineate phases that marks the end of the stride phase and the beginning of the rotation phase it'll mark the end of the stride phase and when we see that and we know that phase comes to an end. So in the next phase, in the rotation phase, is where you're going to want to start to see rotation. Now people, because it says foot contact, think it's, thinks it means when the foot goes down. Unfortunately, even though we'd love to see the foot go down in one piece, so then that guy, stride foot contact would be, boom, his foot's down. Most of the time you're going to see the ball of the foot is down, the heel's not down, or you're going to see the heel making contact, but the front of the foot's not down when any part of the foot touches down. And, you know, Joe, sometimes I'm filming and I'm actually getting really low to the computer because I'm having to go back and forth frame by frame to actually, because he's touching down on dirt to actually see, is his cleat in contact with the ground right here? And you have to kind of go back and forth and look at it to really delineate it. It's one of the most tedious things, but you have to be exact. And once you know, okay, that foot is down, then you take your eye. And the most important thing to look at in that phase is where is the arm? Where is the pitching arm? Is it in the correct, what baseball calls early cocking? And I call it the pre-stretch, well, it is the early cocking phase, and it is the pre-stretch, it's prior to stretching the shoulder. It's at a place where we don't want any shoulder stretching going on. It's a place where we don't want any rotation in the trunk going on. So when the foot goes down and it makes contact, you can go back and look at those other features. Now, the way you check this is you seek stride foot contact and you look and you'll see, oh, his hip isn't rotating forward, meaning his rear hip. 
Uh, that's the easiest one to see. And oh, his arm, it's in exactly where, and you can go to, I think, Joe, we've had YouTube videos and pictures on this topic, correct? Tons of stride foot contact arm photos. You can go there and say, okay, that's where it's supposed to be. And then when you click the next frame, you're going to see that his hip starts to turn as the rest of his foot goes down. So his rotation phase is now beginning. So every pitcher contacts the ground differently, and you have to kind of coordinate it. But if you don't get it right, you're not going to catch the nuances. For example, if the heel is down in that stride foot contact, and the back hip is almost halfway rotated towards the plate, that pitcher is rotating into his landing, and he's also disrupting the next phase, which is where he's supposed to start his rotation. So he started it early, which means this guy's not going to have the velocity production because he's already blown out his hip rotation in the stride phase where there should be no hip rotation. So if you don't do everything at the right time, what it does is it robs you of velocity and can also change the motion that's going to happen after that. So stride foot contact, it begins when the knee from the top of the knee lift as the knee starts to lower and the hip pushes the body forward, which we've talked about in the last two podcasts, and then whatever part of the foot touches the ground. And you have to be exact. And once you have that, stop the frame by frame and then leave it like that and then go back to see, one, where is his arm? So you'll know if it's in correct position or if it's late. And two, where is his back hip? And what we hope for is no hip rotation and that perfect angle to the arm where the lower arm and the upper arm are at a 90 degree angle and where the forearm is rotated. And it's it's hard to say what angle people would call it, but it has not gone into external rotation yet. The forearm is not pointing to the sky. The forearm is forward. And as I said, there's many of reference pictures on my YouTube channel on this topic. So that is how you define stride foot contact. So for everyone who has been writing me and you're interested in this phase, this is the the last piece of it. And this helps you understand if he, some of the things I instructed on the last two podcasts, is he actually doing, actually using his rear leg effectively enough so when he does touch down, it allows him to be in the right place. So everything is working together so that when that pitcher lands, he's in a perfect optimal position to then start the rotation phase which then goes into the actual delivery phase. So that's the way we do it, us professionals. That's great, Angel. You know, the when that front foot hits the ground is just so important. And I feel like we can never talk about it enough to help people understand how, how it should be and how it works. It, it really reminds me, I know I've said this before, it reminds me of when hitting coaches are taking a look at when batter's front toe hits the ground in their stride. I mean, it's a, I imagine it's a similar athletic movement, mm-hmm. you know, as, as any hitting coach knows, if, if that front foot comes down and the, and the hands are anywhere other than up in the launch position, then you're going to have issues. Uh, or, and if the foot's down and the hips are leaking forward, 
there's going to be issues. And it's, it's, it sounds like a very similar kind of a evaluation point for pitching. Right. Because both both hitting and uh, this is true for golf and, and uh, although golf doesn't have a moving foot, we hope, uh, but it's true in these motions where there is a phase where you're moving in a straight line and then a phase where you have to turn. And how well that straight line is established creates better turning. And we just don't mean that the turn that in uh, in pitching, the body turns toward the plate. Remember, in the turning phase or the rotation phase, the shoulder is pre-stretching. And by the way, uh, this is something everyone can do. So for example, this is the first place I look. I don't, you know, I'm when I film, you know, everybody who does analysis, uh, qualitative, we have a certain way we look at things. And when I film a pitcher, I'm going to notice what he does when he's getting into what we call active balance, when he lifts his knee and which way he's facing. But I immediately go and establish the stride foot contact phase. I move frame by frame until I see that foot touchdown. And that's where I start my analysis because I want to see what did his active balance phase actually create because it creates the stride. So if he's got a problem here, I'm going to go and look to see why. If his arm's late, I'm going to say, okay, how'd he come out of the glove? Because if he can't, if his arm is late in this phase, it became late by something he did prior. And the only thing prior to this phase is the knee lift. And that's why I always say the knee lift, which should be not a part of the motion that creates such problems oftentimes is one of the most problematic parts of the pitching motion. And anytime you see a problem here, you're going to see it on, on balance. But with that being said, I want to talk about one thing. So this morning when we, when I knew we were going to talk about Jake, I happened to go to a, a bleacher report and he, he, there happened to be a video of him and it was from the front side. And so I said, oh, I should just, oh, it was in slow motion as well. So I said, oh, I want to just see what he looks like. And I remember watching him. I'm from Chicago. And when the Cubs won their World Series back in 17, I think it was, I was in Chicago at a bar watching him pitch, uh, I don't know how many days. And I think it was in the, not the World Series, but the leading up to it. And I remember thinking what a fabulous pitcher he was. So I said, oh, and I don't know when this video was taken, but here I am watching it. And of course, because I'm watching it, always wanting to see the minute he starts his pitching motion, I'm going to use that pause button. And the second he touches down, I'm going to stop the video so I can see where his arm's at because he's got an arm problem. And sure enough, I had to do it two or three times. He had just touched down and I looked at his arm and believe it or not, Joe, his forearm was pointing straight up to the sky, meaning he had gone into external rotation too early, not a late arm, but too early. Well, what does that do? It exposes the elbow to forces before it's supposed to be getting those forces. That's one way to look at it. His arm is not in the right place. The angle of his elbow, while it was fine, it's still in the wrong timing of the motion. Now, what do I know about that? Nothing. All I know is what I saw. If he were here and I were looking at video, I wouldn't even confirm anything till I saw it from three other views. But 
you can't help what you see. And when you see something, you go, oh, I need to see this from other angles. And that's how you do an investigation. But you have to notice, hmm, his arms in early external rotation. So then you look to see, huh, what kind of trouble could that be giving him with his elbow, knowing that he has a specific injury. That's how you use that stride foot contact phase to recognize and to see what you see that can explain things. But always, 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 coaches, if you're going to get into analysis, you look, you see, and all you do is without any definition or diagnosis, you go, hmm. And then you confirm and look from other views to see if what you think you saw, you actually did see, and also what implication it has. And then, of course, that should then lead you to, okay, why is this happening? Why did he turn his hip too soon in the stride phase? And usually for that one, you're going to see he was turning it when he was on his balance leg. But you're going to see weird things that connect to what the strange thing is you saw from the video. So you have to keep connecting the dots. That happens to be my expertise. It is like being a detective. But if you're going to do analysis, you need to know how to define that phase. It's not when the foot is flat. It's when it first touches the ground. Wow. There you go. Good stuff, Angel. As usual, we're going to close out with the pearls. I'm smelling those brand new baseballs. They're being unwrapped. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, we're, we're heading into the fall very soon. And that's when showcase season starts to turn up a little bit. So, Angel, what do you have to talk about today in the pearl section? Well, I think the thing I want to talk about is this one subject of showcases because I get these panic calls in October and November and I want to see if I can kind of solve some problems right now. So, of course, and I talked about this on the last show, I've been talking about it a lot. You have to plan out your calendar. The thing that happens the most, and this is I'm going to specifically address showcases, is many of, so we've got everyone going to showcases, and especially when they're in high school. And especially the sophomores who are going into junior year, if they haven't been going to showcases, this is when they start to panic and know they've got to go. And I always tell parents, have your son, and I tell them this when they're freshmen, have your son give you a list of his five schools he wants to go to, because obviously those should be the schools you go to, and then start doing research as to when they have their showcases. And pretty much schools have their showcases the same every year. So even if you don't see the calendar for December, for example, of 2019, if you look at a school's calendar from 2018, you'll see showcases. You can pretty much know that that's when they're going to have their showcase. So I get a lot of calls in November and they say, my son wants to go to the, and I think Stanford is one that has a, a December or January showcase. They call and say, my son's been in off season and he's got a showcase in four weeks. What do I do? Well, that should have been planned in August when you're saying, what are we going to do in the next few months? So a pitcher has to understand what his showcase schedule is. And if he's not concerned enough to plan it out, when he gets one, an invitation maybe, or he gets something last minute, he has to make that decision based on 
Is he ready to show his pitching? And if a pitcher hasn't been pitching for four months, this isn't the time to pull him off of offseason, put him into two weeks of pitching, and let him go show his stuff. I mean, could he be ready? Maybe. But most pitchers would want to know that they have spent more time pitching, conditioning their arm. And also remember, in most of these showcases, they're going to face hitters. And when a pitcher faces a hitter, he's pitching with a completely different intensity. And if he hasn't pitched all season and he only did a few bullpens for two weeks, he also hasn't faced live hitting. He's not going to be ready. So what I want everyone to do right now, it's August whatever schools and tons of schools. And listen, I'm not a fan of this. November and December should be preseason for most pitchers, meaning they're not pitching in the fall. Somewhere around November, they're picking up a ball to throw flat ground for two weeks. This is the uninjured pitcher. And then somewhere around the end of November, he's starting to do an interval pitching program, 15 pitches, 20 pitches. And guess what? He's completely ready for February 1st for college pitchers, March 1st for high school, minor leaguers go back in March. I mean, that's a normal schedule. So they're kicking off maybe strength training, hopefully strength training, August and September, October. You've laid out a calendar for which whatever those start dates are, and that's when you start to recondition. Now, if there's a showcase that comes up in the middle of all that, and out here, the Pac-12 schools, many of them have showcases that are in the holiday season because guess what? Kids are off. It's easy for the coaches. They're not in season yet. But if you, for me as a professional, I hate it because what does it mean? It means if a guy has a showcase in September, then he has to know during the summer that he, what he's going to do to be ready for that showcase. And if he had a problem with his mechanics in the spring, He's going to take a very quick off season in June or July and get right back to throwing in August so that he can be ready in September. And then he's going to shut down because he's got this random showcase in September. So that's one scenario. Another scenario is he's got a showcase in October or November. Okay, what should we do? Well, you can grab two weeks right now, but then you're going to have to start pitching again and then try to face some hitters, et cetera, and fall ball, uh, you know, not play fall ball or play it or whatever. So it informs your decision. So the first thing you do is what schools do we absolutely not want to miss showcases at? And if your son wants to go to a certain school, that should be at the top of his list. Check out when they have their showcases. Pick the ones that work the best for you. And then look at what his schedule is. And that's how you decide what you're going to do in August and September. Because many fall ball programs have just training. They don't have pitching. And if you're a pitcher who's got to go to a showcase, then you know that you can't have you have to you have to decide what you're going to be doing. Remember, you have to be ready for a showcase. You're under tons of pressure. You're going to face hitters. So don't let yourself go there and show yourself if you're not 
going to be showing your best self. You're better off in not going to the showcase if you're not going to do well. So please do not miss this opportunity to do some planning. That's my advice. And Joe, I don't I don't know how many times I say this, but every year, this is the panic time. I get all kinds of calls. And it goes right into the decision of, well, what do we do? Do we take it off? Do we work on mechanics? What do we do? And uh, all these pieces are part of the formula. Yeah. You know, as, as the Boy Scouts say, you should just be always prepared. Exactly. And I'm sure that uh, if any of our listeners have questions or want some guidance, they can they can reach out to you. And I want to thank everybody for listening. As always, if uh, if you found something really useful in this show, please share it with one of your fellow coaches or pitchers or parents. We really like to get the word out and keep, keep pitchers healthy and pitching at peak performance. If you'd like to learn more about Angel and what she can do with pitchers, you should visit her website. It's Jim Science, and that's Jim as in G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E dot com. We will be back with you again in about two weeks. And until then, we want to wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound. Goodbye, everybody, and thank you for listening.